after a few weeks out to be back with you today as we're going to do two of our favourite things. We're going to be discussing Derby County under Steve McLaren and we're going to be reminiscing and pondering on the past as we ask, where did it all go wrong for Derby County? Yeah, you could have left off the for Derby County there and I think that would have still been one of our <laughs> favourite things. <laughs> just, but, just thinking yeah. about where it all went wrong in general yeah, uh, in yeah. life. And... Yeah, exactly. But Adding Derby on doesn't uh, diminish no. the enjoyment that we get from the, <laughs> from pondering those things. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, so to quickly get everyone up to speed with what's been happening in the world of Derby County since we last recorded an episode, which was after the Wickham game, I believe, when we beat Wickham 2-1 in February of 2021. On the pitch, it's been a really busy period. So Derby have actually played 12 games since then, which is quite remarkable because that's only two months basically um and there's been international breaks and... there has been international breaks as well yeah we've won two games at home to luton and huddersfield who are two teams at the wrong end of the table with derby we've drawn three games including a home to forest which was notable because it was forest but pretty much nothing else in that game was notable um and we've lost seven so safe to say with that record that we've been sliding back into trouble at the wrong end of the table after um, just managing to kind of like get our heads above water over the busy Christmas period. Alex is shaking his head for, for all of you all of you listening that you can't see. Again, I don't think it needs, it needs to be said. I'll probably be, I'll probably be shaking my head at something. Throughout the whole, just throughout the, all, of the, all of our recordings, you're shaking your head, that's true. Um, so currently we sit 20th in the championship table. We are not comfortable at all from saving ourselves from relegation. So we're seven points ahead of Rotherham, who are third bottom, so in the relegation zone. But they do have four games in hand on us because of their strange coronavirus outbreaks going on, mm. cancelling games when it suited them. Yeah, you felt like they'd have got herd immunity by now, but it seems yeah. like they've had two waves. So maybe no. they've been hit by one of these you know, powerful variants. Actually, that's true. You feel like um, the amount of games that Rotherham had to postpone, the whole like town will have got herd immunity. I don't know anything that's going on in Rotherham, <laughs> but... Um, I don't know. Yeah, I well, can't comment. They've got four games in hand, and we're only one point above Coventry, um, who have a game in hand over us as well, who sit just below us in twenty first. So, it's not safe. Like, I think there's the feeling, perhaps amongst Derby fans at the minute, that we are, we might be safe or we might be too good to go down because of the teams that are below us. But for me, I don't feel comfortable sitting mm. here right now saying that. I think the other slightly worrying one is that Sheffield Wednesday are only eight points behind with one game in hand. And Darby's current form, if Sheffield Wednesday 
got their act together. Do we have to play them still? Yeah, so we play Sheffield Wednesday on the last game of the season. Oh, dear. Um, So there's five games left for Derby. So effectively, Sheffield Wednesday only have to be within three points in order to make that the whole season uh, rests upon that game. um, We still have to play Birmingham as well, who who are down down there with the scrapping. But having said all that, I'm still not conf- I'm still confident in the fact that Rotherham are not going to do better than two wins and one draw mm. from four games. So, okay, I'm not too worried, but it's definitely definitely not safe yet by any stretch. It's not. It's not looking pretty, is it? No. Like Derby have tried everything at this point to try and get back into the Premiership, apart from being taken over by a consortium. A consortium. A faceless consortium. And off the pitch, there was an agreement this week. Some sort of agreement happened after literally months of hearsay, the Derby County board not updating Derby fans on what was happening in terms of the takeover. Something happened this week in that a Spanish businessman might be a step too far. Um, Agent is probably the best best way to describe him. A a Spanish sports agent um, has agreed at least in in the first kind of like principal stage of a takeover to be the spearhead and the um, the head of a consortium that is going to buy Derby. This guy's name is Eric Alonso. Um in all honesty, we know very little about him. But as we when we started this podcast, we discussed at length actually um the kind of like ethics and the our thoughts surrounding a consortium from the United Arab Emirates taking over the club. And it was actually the inspiration for this podcast mm. that, that we were going to get taken over and, and things were going to change at Derby. And so we wanted to document the recent history. Um, with all that in mind, Alex, my question for you this week is what credentials does Eric Alonso have to be a successful owner of Derby County? Mm. Or who the hell is Eric Alonso? <laughs> <laughs> Paraphrasing, but yeah. Who the hell is Eric um, Alonso? Well, yeah, like you said, we started the podcast because we were a bit worried about this takeover that was supposed to be happening, and it never did in like true Derby fashion. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe to just before I go into the very little that I know about Eric Alonso, just like to note how poor Mel Morris actually is mm-hmm. at like, sealing any deal like... Especially yeah. as Derby chairman. I mean, it seems like he must have sealed a deal in the past because he had money and presumably something to do with Candy Crush happened that, mm-hmm. um, that gave him that. But actually... Think, actually, sorry to interrupt you, but I think on the subject of Mel Morris as well, because you have you have bought him up, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to perhaps rant a little bit here. This deal that he's kind of like struck with this man who we know very little about, the footballing world knows little about who's actually come out and said so Eric Alonso has come out and said he's not even gonna tell the fans who's actually backing him up financially mm-hmm. for Mel Morris to come out and strike this deal like it's finally confirmed to me that he has just done like the most awful job in charge of Derby mm. County because this is probably like a, a football fan's worst nightmare like somebody who essentially has no pedigree in running a football club, mm. you don't even know where the money's coming from. There's a lot of stuff that Derby. If there do. is any money, if there is any money, which yeah might be the reason why he's not even coming out and telling us where the money's coming from. Um, to me, this is like the absolute worst thing that could happen to a club, and and that's as a fan. And I think that like Mel Morris is quote unquote like a Derby fan. 
mm-hmm. but how can he sell the club to this person as a fan mm. yeah he's entirely culpable for the mess that we find ourselves mm-hmm. in and all the other messes like the fact that they sat Richard Keogh and then ended up reportedly having to pay him like millions of pounds to in as part of like costs around like un, unlawful termination I think unlawful termination that's the correct term and or and when Sam Rush the same happened to him that's pay out money for him um, all the failed managerial appointments mm-hmm. and yeah like you say how can he call himself a fan and then sell us to like some some bloke but yeah this Eric Alonso guy the only thing we really know about him related to football is the fact that he's an agent for some players I can't remember who mm-hmm. um, I don't think there was anyone particularly notable and he was an advisor at Sheffield Wednesday who were also very famously uh, you know managed to perfection they by by, yeah. by their owners yeah. mismanaged to perfection um, <laughs> so he's he's uh, you know he's got no credentials or he's got suspicious credentials and that's mm-hmm. not a good place to start and then the other thing is that there's lots of other weird stuff surrounding him like the fact that he yeah he has these backers as you mentioned who he refuses to identify mm-hmm. which I mean is is, is high, highly worrying because like as fans of the football club why why is he not uh, bound to like sort of telling us and mm-hmm. In the wider world, who is financing the club? Why? Like, why does it have to remain opaque? Mm-hmm. And the other things that are like you know just minor infringements, like being linked to the far right in Spain. So, you know, to, like you know, it could just be a fascist yeah. <laughs> or something something similar. Um, For anyone that didn't quite get Alex's tone there, where he said minor infringements, obviously we don't we don't believe that that is a minor <laughs> infringement. We 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 spoke a lot about the ethics of of kind of like oil money essentially purchasing the club in November and for us somebody who has links to the far right he comes with his baggage and with his political baggage this guy and and if that's his political stance like I almost don't want to jump on his bandwagon well no you don't you don't want anyone in charge no I mean this the Vox party that he's been linked with are just like any other like neo-fascist party Mm -hmm. in in Europe and there's there's no way you'd ever want anyone that has links to that sort of arrangement in charge of anything that you support. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's got off on the wrong foot with us. Um, yep. I'm sure for most people, well, I, I'm sure for some people, that they, won't, they won't care, but um, yep. for at least us, that's important. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, you know, that's all I know about him. He was, he was already on Sky Sports kind of like chatting a big game, uh, which is also another bad start because one of the things I hated about Mel Morris was that he'd always be on talk sport with his mates, like chatting a big game and like producing yeah. very little yeah. in actual substance and it seems like this guy's carrying on that long yeah. held tradition yeah he's taking that leaf hasn't he and if anything it seems a bit like when Forrest got taken over by that air conditioning man oh far far was yeah, yeah yeah like it seems a bit like that sort of scenario where he was always like kind of in the media saying stuff and I mean the fact that he's already bringing up like Wayne Rooney's job you know, it's not in threat because he's a legend. I think is the quote. But it kind of threatened. It kind of already highlights that he's already thinking about who's in charge. Mm. When I just, I mean, I could see you know Rooney just being sacked, which I wouldn't. I mean, ultimately wouldn't mm. really have a problem with. But um, but equally, it doesn't seem like anyone's going to be on short, like on stable ground in yeah. the job. And also, he's only twenty nine, and you know, if you put me in charge of Derby County Football Club now I'd probably do a horrible job of it and I know that age isn't really a 
yeah, it doesn't really matter how old people are, but, you know, he seems to have done a lot with his life so far, and a lot of it is very suspicious. Mm. And I'm I'm very surprised that someone so young has managed to fit so much suspicious activity yeah. into his life. Um, it's a bit of a red flag, really. It I is think. a red flag. The, uh, yeah. The, I had completely forgot that he was, he was um, exactly our age, and it just adds another level of worry, I think, to how the club's going to be run. I guess one thing, like one one point to note is that, you know, we're, we're always quite dour, I think, on these podcasts and quite realistic. And that's just because that's how we, we live. We don't live with any sort of... Pessimistic, um... maybe. Re- realistic's <laughs> probably... Uh, okay. You're doing us more... Like... Okay, so we're, we're quite pessimistic in, in the way that we view things and, I guess, opportunities. Because a lot of fans... So obviously I've been having a look on Twitter the past couple oh, of days yeah. to kind of like... See how see how it's being received, and there are com- two completely different um, camps of thought essentially in this. One is this guy has links to the far right. We don't want him anywhere near our club. Who the hell is he? He's got no credentials. The other half of the fan base, I, w- I would probably say it's probably half as well. Actually, um, through looking at Twitter as my litmus test, has been saying, "Look, you've got to get behind the club. You've got to give him a chance." We've got to try and get ourselves out of this mess. We're not going to do it with pessimistic thought. And it's kind of a valid argument, really, because you don't really get any anywhere by not supporting someone mm. and not being pe- and, and kind of being pessimistic. But I think that I wanted to bring that up because I think that this is going to... Like, I personally think that this takeover is going to continue Derby's rot, if you, if you want to put it that way. That's what I think about it now. If in a year's time, Derby are doing well... Of course I'll be pleased and I'll be optimistic about the future and I'll be optimistic about the team, but I still won't be optimistic about how the club's being run. Yeah. I still can't see that happening. The best case scenario is that somehow we somehow turn it around and then this guy sells us to someone else yeah. who has the club's long-term interests at heart. Exactly, which is than... absolutely not how you, like the position that you want to be sitting in as a football fan thinking about your club mm. that is absolutely you don't want an owner to be coming on board and be thinking this is a short term mm-hmm. appointment already I can't wait for Eric Alonso to like not be in charge of mm. Derby and hasn't even signed the documents to take over the club yet yeah you never know the EFL might block it or they might allow it to happen and then we might end up in a situation like uh, Wigan last season yeah. where the owner then backed out and then the EFL pub- uh, punished Punishes, punishes the club, the club yeah. because clearly it's the club's fault yeah. that the EFL approved someone unknown with unknown backers yeah. to take over a club with no money. So, you know, we could we could try and rely on the you know the famed institution of the EFL yeah. to try and help us out here, but the EFL probably also, you know, Derby aren't their best mates at the minute. Derby only denied an eight straight league win by a late Martin Patterson equaliser at Huddersfield on Boxing Day. Here's Dawkins, around the back here, Simon Dawkins, thought about trying to shoot himself, Chris Martin took a deflection and in, Derby lead. Well I guess we need to go back to March 2014 now and... Well we don't, we don't need to but I think the, as you were saying we're quite pessimistic about these things but actually what this, you know, this takeover made me think about was kind of like where... You know, we keep saying like Derby have been in like long term decline and like mm. it's terrible and they're constant like now they're in this battle for relegation, are we gonna be even if we stay up, are we gonna be in a battle next season as well? Mm. But really these things you can just like debate 
like for eternity with people and people will say oh maybe next year it'll be fine like Mm -hmm. maybe we're not in long-term decline maybe it's just that we brought all the youngsters through in what in like and and then in a few years time that'll actually you know have much more positive impact on the Mm -hmm. club than if we just like tried to keep churning the same like old names through the club but I actually wanted to say like where was the footballing moment Mm. where actually I think or we think, I mm-hmm. guess. We mm-hmm. both, I think we both agree. Yeah. We, we think that there was like a turnaround in footballing terms yeah. that actually sparked all the long-term decline we're talking about. Yeah. And obviously people can decree- disagree with that. But actually, if we just give our... You know, we've done too much talking about what's going on around the club. And we just need to talk about some like some fucking football for a change. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Sorry, we, <laughs> and we, we need some evidence to back up our thoughts yeah. on the matter. Because we're not providing much evidence either. And I, th- I feel like this is the episode where finally we're going to say, like, put our flag in the ground and be like... This, this was is, the moment. This was the moment. This is our stance. This is why we think it's all gone wrong. Okay. I think it's important to do that. I, I also think it's important too. And I think that as fans of Derby who have watched hours and hours and hours and days worth of football, that's also what we know. Mm. And we, like, at the time of this incident happened that we're going to talk to, of course we never thought it would lead to this long-term decline. And of course there will be people that disagree with us now and they'll have different opinions and they won't think that this, this particular moment in time actually had any significance. But, I mean, we were there at this game and for us... It was an absolutely huge moment. So what was happening, Alex, in 2014? Well, so well, it was the 1st of March 2014, and to be exact, and the game we're talking about is uh, Burnley away. Mm-hmm. Steve McLaren had taken charge as, you know, if you've listened to episode two of the podcast, then you will have known that he took charge around um, October time. Um, in 2013. In 2013, yeah. And he had sort of immediately transformed a club that seemed to be like having very little prospects to, mm-hmm. or at least like it was on a very gradual improvement sort of you know uh, cycle trajectory, I guess. trajectory yeah. trajectory is the right word and he turned it into a team that looked like it could get into the top two in mm-hmm. you know in three months and and the period where that really crystallized was in like November December time mm-hmm. So, we went on an absolutely incredible run. Sorry to um, interject there, but we had a run of... Actually, we were nine games unbeaten from the start of November to the end of December. And that eight wins in that time. Mm. Like, that is absolutely incredible form. And we're not playing, like, awful teams during that time as well. We beat Sheffield Wednesday. We beat Middlesbrough. We... I remember us playing some really good stuff. Mm. You could tell we were, like... We were enjoying it because we had started going to some away games for a change yeah. as well. Although we, we had been going to some away <laughs> games even, fair, even during yeah. the club period. We, but, um, we still watched the battle. But I think, we, I think we went to two in a row, Barnsley and Huddersfield away. Yeah, we did. And we saw the end of that was, run. Where It in, was still a glorious Christmas though, Alex. It was It was, It was. was good. But then we, we had a minor wobble at the start of January. But I mean, you can forgive losing to the eventual Premier League champions. And I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> but then after that, they got back on the horse again. And then they were winning. Mm-hmm. And so it got to the start of March and somehow Derby were within two points of Burnley. And I think, in fact, actually, Derby had got into the top two at one point, but then had dropped out again after. But so they were battling away with Burnley, but Burnley were in they're they're also in a really good 
mm-hmm. run of form. Um, and so this was kind of the game where... It was very well poised, wasn't it? Mm. I remember being very excited for this game. And you could see that the momentum was going to be with whoever could get positive as well yeah. out of this. And I think I think either club would have been happy with the draw as well. Yeah. Um, but you really sense the feeling that if you could win, mm-hmm. then it would really tilt the title battle or title battle, the promotion battle in yeah. in that team's favour. That was kind of the scene. That's why we bought a ticket. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also we were living in Leeds at the time, so it wasn't much of a journey. And I think um, this was my second visit to to Turf Moor, but I don't think you'd been to Turf Moor no, before I'd this never day. Been. And I think I really wanted to show Alex the the glory of of Turf Moor. One of the it was my, my first ever away game as a Derby fan and. It's just, it, I, I don't know if those wooden seats are still there, but the image mm. of those wooden seats in the away end at Turf Moor will always always stick with me. Anyway. It's an old ground, and it makes you feel very unwelcome as an mm-hmm. away fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of wrote, you're obviously at one end of the ground, but it kind of feels like all the other stands are much closer to the pitch than the away fans are. You feel very far away from the action, yeah. basically. And so it kind of feels like you're really like intruding on something that you shouldn't mm. you shouldn't be watching in a mm-hmm. sense which is good for the home team yeah and i think like burnley's home form in the premiership that's essentially season after season what has kept them up there yeah um, and in the championship they're always very strong at home yeah um and under sean dyche in the championship they're particularly strong, they were very strong and this yeah. was like you know this was typical sean dyche burnley so it was a horrible place to go but derby as we said we're in a good we're in extremely, good form yeah extremely good burnley um Barely changed their team all season, but Derby were rotating quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but both teams kind of had their fixed systems. Um, two very distinct styles. Burnley were kind of like very four four two, as yeah. they have been for like the past. Well, since Sean Dyche has been manager, I guess. Yeah. Um, and Derby would this was like peak four three three. Yeah. Like a defense midfielder, two just box to box midfielders essentially, yeah. and and significantly for this game. Chris Martin, target man, ever present all season, in extremely good form, mm. um, scoring goals, setting up goals, holding the ball up. Um, you wrote in your article that he was a lower league Diego Costa, <laughs> which I really like. I don't think I've ever thought of uh, Chris Martin. Well, as a... it's funny you, it's funny you picked that out because I actually got the inspiration from that from like the BBC or something, which that because <laughs> I think Derby played Chelsea in the eight, like some cup or something that season it must have been the FA Cup yeah and they wrote an article comparing Diego Costa and Chris Martin because they they, so I'm I'm, you're not taking credit I'm not taking credit for it but uh, I'm taking credit for remembering it yeah 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 Um, yeah. but um, he was the most important player that season Mm -hmm. and Craig Bryson I think won player of the year but I think he basically won that first hat trick later on against Forest (laughs) there was no way we could play without Chris Martin or the defensive midfielder but but we didn't have any problems with defensive midfielder that season so so Chris Martin was just like, he was the man. Mm-hmm. If anything good was going to happen, it was going to happen by him. And mm-hmm. and Derby had a really good bench as well. Like Patrick Bamford had actually signed on loan and he was like doing really well, but he was like still confined yeah. to bench appearances. Even Craig Brighton was on the bench for this one. I don't really remember why, but he'd gone, I think he went with Hughes and Hendrick in mm-hmm. midfield, which obviously is still really good midfield. But this yeah. was kind of around the time where Hughes was still a little bit suspect game after game after yeah, game like yeah. you couldn't really rely on him he wasn't non-stop. as consistent as he was in, in, the, in the season the season after for his two minutes before half time came another key moment Chris Martin had already been booked he went down though Jeff Hendricks shot found the net referee Robert Maidley was rather more interested in what had happened to Martin 
Okay, so it's a cold a cold afternoon in the northwest. We're in Burnley. We've notably just I think I've just had a Dunna kebab, which I want to put out there as as now an ardent vegan. I remember being extremely hungover before this game and the only thing that I could imagine eating for lunch was a Dunna kebab. Yeah, dragged Alex to a kebab shop in Burnley. You did you chauffeured me there actually. I mean you'd I, driven as well. I drove you there. Not even sure if it was legally. It was legal, come on. <laughs> I don't even remember why you were hungover. I don't know, but beer, anyway. beer the night before, obviously. <laughs> so we're excited for the game. We get there. We're full. We've had our meal. I'd had my veggie burger. Alex had a veggie burger. I'd had done a kebab. Standing in the way end at Turf War. Not many Derby fans there, unsurprisingly, because, I mean, it's not an easy place to get to from, no. from Derby. I think there's only a, a couple of thousand maximum. Um, I think people were excited at this point as well, but they weren't. They were still a bit. I mean, the Clough era had had such a negative impact yeah, on the club yeah. that they were still a bit worried about what could go yeah. wrong. Attendances weren't like as we just had a discussion actually before we started recording. Attendances actually weren't that great under McLaren until the end of this season. When I mean, like we looked like we were going to go up essentially. Yeah, yeah. That was the thing that got that got the Derby fans back in. Um, so we're standing there, turf more game starts. We're excited. Two teams who are both poised to try and get one of those automatic promotion places. This is probably like, this is what you want in the championship, really. Like that moment, right? You're just, you're ready yeah, to go. Yeah, it feels like this is as good as the championship yeah, gets. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. Because all you can hope for in the championship is that you you give a good go at trying to go up at the very mm-hmm. least. And then these are the games. I mean, in the premiership, you're not going to have these games. No. Where you're both going for like a, you know, a title or a cup really or something similar so extremely rare to to kind of be in that position yeah yeah Um, so this is kind of like this is why you're in the championship i guess this is why we drove from leeds to burnley to to watch this game yeah and then obviously in true derby fashion an ex-derby player went and scored yeah against derby yeah which and i don't think i think he scored like two or three goals for derby or something this was his first goal for burnley david jones david jones obviously against derby yeah and it's a bit sad because I always liked David Jones mm-hmm. as a dive player. Um, I was sad when he left after we got relegated because I felt like in the Premiership season he was one of the very few that mm. could emerge with a tiny slither of credit. In uh, <laughs> probably yeah. that he just didn't play very much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess that he was just he was far easier on the eye than a lot of that Derby squad. Right? Yeah, it, and it looked it looked like a waste of his talent to be hanging around at a horrible club like yeah. Burnley. But. Um, that aside, he anyway, he he obviously scored a really nice volley, yeah. uh, which he would obviously, which would obviously only ever come against Derby. Um, and I I really do urge you to go and watch the highlights that we've got on our um, on our website, not only for the moment that we're about to discuss, but for that David Joe's volley because it was beautiful. Yeah, so so that happened, but obviously this is Derby. This always happens. So they. Uh, you've got to allow for those kind of things, but Derby weren't out of it. Burnley are kind no. of Burnley were kind of dominating the half, but Derby definitely weren't out of it. No. And the, and obviously the thing to emphasise here is like when we say turning point, we're not really talking about the game in its entirety. We're literally talking about like one a, moment in one time, moment like a couple of seconds. The thing about this year is that even when Derby were playing like badly, they would somehow still come up with these moments where the games would turn in their favour, mm-hmm. and that was like the most alien thing about this season I think mm-hmm. um, and probably like as well as the football the thing that made you want to go and watch was because you knew that you were never out of the game yeah yeah and that 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 is like super exciting especially mm. after the Clough area era sorry where we would be 1-0 down at home and he'd bring on a, a defender mm. like 
those days were over. (laughs) Russell Anderson, yeah. Those Uh, days were over. Poor Russell Anderson. I've got nothing on on the bloke, but, you know, (laughs) that's not what you need when you're (laughs) down at home to a bad team. So something weird happened. I kind of only remember... It was kind of innocuous. Like, uh, I think, I, I guess Chris Martin had been booked for something. Mm-hmm. And then he's in the box with the ball and he gets kind of tackled. Mm-hmm. But it looks like the ball's kind of like not been altered, like its trajectory hasn't been altered by the tackle. So you immediately think penalty. Yeah. But then the ball comes to Jeff Hendrick anyway and he just like slots it in the bottom corner. Yeah. And you're like, well, who cares? I remember going wild at this point because, I mean, we're 1-0 one, one down, away from home. Not we have been the worst well. team in that, in that mm. first half. We've got ourselves back into the game, and you just think, right, we're back in the game. That's yeah. it. This is going to be this is going to be a real contest in the second half. Yeah, and I think I remember confusing the ref, like pointing, like blowing his whistle and pointing back towards the halfway line, and thinking like he's just he's pointing. Given the goal. Yeah, he's given the goal, but mm. actually, what he'd done was given a free kick. And I think it didn't take long to realise. Just to make that clear, Chris Martin went down in the box. The ref gave a free kick to Burnley. In their own yeah. penalty box. Yeah, so it didn't take long to realise that it was between Martin and this d- defender that had tackled him. Kieran that, Trippier. Oh, Kieran Trippier, who would obviously go on to have a very mediocre career. <laughs> um, and when you see that, it's obviously for a dive. Something's gone wrong, Something, basically. Something's gone wrong and it's obviously for a dive. And then I think it took like a few seconds to realise... Or like to piece together everything that was going yeah. to happen, and I think even like as the uh, like opposition fans were kind of like already Laughing, a- ask, asking for the red card to be drawn, I still wasn't quite believing what was going mm. to happen. But yeah, anyway, so he gave a dive, and he obviously had to book Chris Martin, and he'd already been booked. So, yeah. so in in a matter of literally two seconds, we went from thinking, "Wow, Jeff Hendricks just put this in the bottom corner." We're going to really, really make a go of this in the second half to, oh crap, what's he doing? He's booking Chris Martin. Okay, he's off. Right, okay, we're yeah, down to Yeah, it was like men. triple jeopardy because, I mean, as it would turn out, it was a penalty. I'm sorry. Yeah. It was just like a very standard trip. I think um, at the by time, tripping. though, what we do need to... <laughs> that's nice. What we do need to remember is that Chris Martin was known for mm. winning fouls I'm yeah. going to say and in some games he did he did go down easily in some games he didn't go down easily it, he just always kind of he was he was always kind of looking for it so I guess he did have some sort of reputation for going down but honestly when you see the incident it's, it's a stonewall it's, penalty it's, well it's just like it's just a really average trip it's just like a yeah it's a penalty if it wasn't given you'd just be like oh, one of those things but, but we'd scored so it would have been fine. That's why it was triple jeopardy because didn't win the penalty, mm-hmm. didn't get, and then it comes to Hendrick. He puts it in the bottom corner, mm-hmm. but didn't get the goal. Mm-hmm. And then not only that, but then he went on to send off Chris Martin. Yeah. And then the game was lost. Yeah. And th- that's the reason why it's not the whole game at the moment because the game itself was just like subject to this one moment. It was almost like after that point, the game was happening, but we were ruining that decision essentially it was just like I'd rather be in the car driving home now because yeah. this game there was absolutely no way that mm-hmm. Derby are coming back against a team as good as Burnley mm-hmm. it, without like their key player I think as solid as Burnley as well I think if they were a free a free-flowing football team you could imagine 10 men not being too harmful necessarily mm. but because Burnley was so solid they were just gonna 
set up those two banks of four. We would have no way of breaking them down with ten men. We knew which way it was going to go. Yeah. So we lost 2-0. The old stage of Bobby Zamora with the goal right at the deck to leave Derby County in a heap to dash their dreams. But to me, that it is Queen's Park Rangers who head back with the most dramatic of late Wembley twists. It, like a micro level it had like an immediate impact and it kind of sent Derby on this like very mediocre run mm-hmm. where they would go on to like not they would go on to not win for the next three matches or something yeah or maybe two. Until, we, until we beat Forest at the end of um, yeah at the end of March and even the Forest game didn't really arrest the slide we still were a bit iffy after that but then so it kind of ruled Derby out of the top two mm-hmm. I mean they were already five points behind even before this run so mm-hmm. on that you know like micro form level it had like an immediate impact uh, but they kind of, you know, they turned it around and then in the last, mm-hmm. I think, six or seven games of the season, they went unbeaten. Another and w- really good w- run. And they obviously did really... W- they won big games like against Forest and against Brighton in the playoffs. So Field as well, who I think were playing well that season. Yeah, and so it wasn't like a... It didn't, it didn't like, ruin the season for Derby. Like, Derby weren't thrown completely off course, but mm. it obviously consigned Derby to the lottery of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And... Even a team as good as Derby were that year are obviously going to be subject to the randomness that comes mm. with a, a one-off game, and so you can always lose against a QPR. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very it's very um, important to to mention that as the long-term impact because I think a lot of people would see that game against QPR as the moment, the turning point. But actually, the turning point had happened in March because the form that Derby were in, like the top two was possible. And as Alex said, you take yourself out of the lottery of the playoffs Mm. then. And so, although to kind of the outside world, and I think if you, if you just kind of looked at that season, you'd be like, right, okay, Derby lost to Queens Park Rangers in the playoff final, completely against the run of any Mm. sort of play. And then, you know, they, they almost hadn't, they almost never recovered to that level since, Mm. but actually we never really recovered to the level that we were at just before yeah, Chris yeah. Martin was sent off at Burnley. That's true. And um, yeah, that, no, that's completely right. And obviously you can debate the playoff fight. And obviously if Derby played a different team or mm. some things had gone more their way, they might have won that game. And they might have gone up then and it might have all been fine. But you were constantly having to course correct yeah. for this thing that had gone wrong back in March. Well, that's how it seems to us anyway. Yeah. Um, obviously, like I said, this is completely opinion-based yeah. and uh, that's how football is. But um it's not like Derby did kind of return to that level, but they could never sustain it. Mm. And it might have been if they could like carry on. And these are all ifs, buts, and maybes. And it's obviously yeah. like horse, you know, horse shit to like <laughs> uh, to carry on like debating these like for like forever. But um, the the problem is that they kind of that season. I mean, like they finished with eighty five points, even with these like the bad run at the start under mm-hmm. Clough, and then these bad runs. And eighty five would have been enough in like three or four seasons of the past like fifteen years to, yeah, get, to promoted. get promoted. So it's it's definitely not a bad points total. And it's just, I mean, we had the eventual Premier League champions top, and we have Burnley who have gone on to be like one of the few teams that have yeah. just like managed to stay in the Premiership, like forever so you, it was like you keep calling Leicester City the eventual Premier can yeah. you just call them Leicester City <laughs> I'm trying to emphasise here how good that Leicester team must have been I okay. mean they had Vardy but Vardy wasn't even doing that well I know okay um, alright I still haven't seen Wes Morgan lift the Premier League they had Mares. Mares was like Mares was a nobody um, I still can't do that to myself so <laughs> can you just can you just call them Leicester City <laughs> 
You just don't want to accept facts. Um, I I can't. But I think... Uh, talking of accepting facts, so I know that on this podcast we we do talk a lot about the McLaren era. Okay, we we loved that time in Derby's history so much that we do talk about it a lot. And actually, for the next few episodes, we're gonna we're gonna try and really cast our mind back to other periods in Derby's history because there have been other things that have happened apart from Steve McLaren being in charge. So It's difficult to imagine. But... <laughs> it, it is difficult to imagine, but we're going to try. So the one kind of question I had for you, actually, just to kind of like finish off this turning point, mm. this game, this season almost mm. for a while, um, why are we so fixated on this season mm. and do we have the right to be so fixated on this season and this turning point mm. in the context of the past 10 years for example because declines are slow mm. yeah I think we're well at least I'm you know I keep going back to this season when I think about where like where I would go back to if I would change something mm. to try and alter what's happened to Derby over the at least the past eight years, purely because I think it was like a high point. Mm. I think the long term decline has actually been kind of systemic since like before this. the early two thousands. Mm. But mm. actually, we had got good enough in this period mm-hmm. to try and arrest what had happened. Yeah, and obviously, I can't go. I can't go back twenty odd years. I mean, I would be only like nine or ten. Yeah, so yeah. I can't really, you know. I mean, there was probably things that we could have changed in the Premier League era mm-hmm. prior, um, not in two thousand seven or two thousand eight, because that was just uh, an aberration. But just um, that, that off. but um, but they were definitely good enough this year to get out. And I think the other thing was that this team was like really finely poised. Mm. And it was like in later years, Derby would go on to be okay in later years at different times and they would look good under McLaren and Clement, um, mm-hmm. less so under Rowett. They would look okay under Lampard in certain games. Mm-hmm. But um, this team was like, a, you know, it was like a sustained machine for winning. Mm-hmm. And in the, you know, the season after with McLaren, we were kind of unlucky with injuries, really. Like, it was still a really good team and they still mm-hmm. looked really good. But actually, once McLaren, uh, what's McLaren? Once Martin got injured, Thorne was injured, uh, that Eustace, I think, wasn't there anymore. Yeah. Um, and wasn't the same player as Thorne as well. Wasn't the same player, but they had to play with Mascarell. And Mascarell was, like, not a defensive shield. And so they had all these, like, problems going on. They brought in loads of lone players. Mm-hmm. So it was just like they were they were constantly trying to recreate recreate yeah. what they had done this year with like uh, suboptimal resources. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's just, um, at least for me, it's just, it just feels like the past eight years we've just always been trying to recreate this season yeah. rather than trying to do something new. Yeah. And if you're trying to always recreate something, you kind of always think back to the time when you were yeah. just doing it. Um, and I think the the club itself kind of, I mean, we also hop back to this time, but the club is very obviously hopping back to this time as well because Steve McLaren is our current um, director of football. Well, and he has a different title, right? Sorry, but, sorry, yeah, but he essentially acts as, as an advisor yeah. to, to Wayne Rooney. So it's not just us. Um, Craig Forsyth's still around. Craig Forsyth is still there, bless him, still, still playing well. very well <laughs> in this team. Um, and I think that that's perhaps a, a, a reasonable way to, to leave this because, you know, maybe I said at the start of this episode that you can tell that Mel Morris isn't a Derby fan. 
but he's facilitated the return of Steve McLaren this season. And well, he's done that twice, right? This yeah. is the second time he's facilitated the return. And essentially, all we do is harp back to this season. So maybe uh, that, that's another interesting point, though, because this was one of the last seasons where Mel Morris wasn't in charge as well. Mm. And there might be something subconsciously there where like, this was kind of like, there was like a naivety or innocence about this team mm. in mm. the, in the way it was put together in the, a lot of the players were kind of like free transfers and like yeah. people whose their careers weren't ending, but they didn't seem like they were, they definitely didn't seem like they were going anywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. I see what you mean. Whereas, like, after this... I mean, even the next season, it, there was still that element to it. And we kind of signed Thorne. It was unfortunately mm. got injured. But we only signed him because he was really good the season previously. Mm-hmm. But then Mel Morris took charge. I think that's, you know, the after next the season. the final, I think it was, yeah. Um, and that Clement year, I think, basically ruined the club. Um I think because of the money that was the spent money was, that was spent on and, and how badly it was spent. Yeah, we can't we can't put this whole thing down to Paul Clement. We've just put it on Richard Maidley. Richard Maidley is that his name? Yeah, yeah. We've just put this moment on Richard Maidley, so we can't put it on. Oh no 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 no, that's true. On, but on I think, <laughs> but long term speaking, it was like the Clement like spending all that money that mm. had a massive impact. But um, but yeah, like so these like this period of the t- the club's history, it, there was like still an and if we had gone up, it would have been really enjoyable. I think, mm-hmm. you know, this was a team that everyone could get behind. Um, maybe they would have been like shocking in the Premiership. Yeah, I mean, like maybe they would have tried to play like this, and it would have been like an absolute horror show. But, but we can still dream about those. But about we can those still games that we never had. Yeah, yeah, and also, you know, if you get promoted, you can kind of there's a lot more momentum. Whereas mm. if you lose in the playoffs, you've got to do it all over again. And you, mm. I remember, even though next year we'd still be good and we'd get to the top and then blow it. Um, like it took Derby like five or six games to really get into gear again yeah, at the start of the next absolutely. season. Absolutely, they were um, they were completely rocked by mm, by not going up that season, mm, and I think that probably tells you just how good they were in in that league. Because yeah, nobody that finishes on eighty five points shouldn't shouldn't get promoted yeah, in a sense. Yeah. They um and yeah, just, just very good. So just like uh, that was the moment. all the way in truth Premier League champions 2016 the amazing Leicester City thanks Alex and thanks as always for writing an article uh, to kind of accompany this and it definitely gets my thought process going when I when I read through your articles and I mean I am married to you so in, in a lot of cases I do agree and they are my my thoughts too and it would be in your best interest to agree as well <laughs> <laughs> but um, no I, I really appreciate it and yeah onwards and upwards shall yeah, we say we should um, we should try and get some more positive things yeah uh, being said because currently the club's in a very negative spiral and it's probably doing no good trying yeah. to return to negative points in the past as exactly well. so on on that um on that note for the for the next few weeks we're gonna go back to our uh, previous releasing schedule of releasing an episode once every two weeks hopefully on a monday depending on how my editing skills um turn out after this after this small hiatus um we're hoping to have some guests on so yeah if you're listening to this podcast and you also want to feature on the podcast please please let us know we have the um the ability to be able to do these recordings over video calls so we don't have to fly you out to lisbon which is good at the minute with the 
with the current situation. With the current situation. And we, you know, it's it's um, for the for the small number of people that do listen to this, it's it's nice to to nice to know that you are listening. So thank yeah. you, thank you to everyone for listening to what we've said so far. Yeah. And yeah. hopefully, yeah, like if you do listen, then we'll definitely be interested in having you yeah. on because our you know our knowledge only goes so far. Our knowledge only goes so far, and also it would be nice to get some some fresh opinions on the show. Yeah. I agree. Um, okay, so as ever, you can find our articles um, on our website, which is ourbaseballground.com. The episodes, our previous episodes, and this one are available, as, as you know, because you will have accessed them, hopefully on, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Anchor and basically any any podcasting um, streaming service that you can, you can think of. We're probably going to be there. Um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, if you want to see any updates from us we're going to do our best at posting on twitter and on instagram we're going to be more active there over the next couple of weeks especially this as this takeover goes through i think there there still needs to be a certain commentary being being made on on social media and yeah thank you very much for listening we'll be back in two weeks time yep see you cheers